0: Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Need Some Introduction. I'm your host, Victor, and in this episode, I will be recapping and reviewing the season finale of Barry, Starting Now. I'm not starting now. The title of the episode is Starting Now. Later in the week, this is a Father's Day weekend, so I'm not sure if I can get that boy's recap out. I will try to, but there will be some episode there in the middle where I discuss things with my sister, have a conversation with her about this episode of Barry. Very excited to have that conversation with her. She's been watching it week to week with me. And perhaps later in the week, having someone come on and actually defend the Obi-Wan Kenobi show, which will be wrapping up next week. So not much longer to wait to see how that all turns out. As you may know, if you've been listening to my recaps, I've been pretty disappointed with that one. And in subsequent weeks, now that Barry has wrapped up, we will continue to cover the boys. And I'll be watching those first few episodes of Westworld, which is starting next week or in two weeks I believe now. I don't know why I'm coming back for more. I was very disappointed in last season but I am curious. That trailer has gotten me curious. Excellent use of that Lou Reed song and it does look like they're rebooting these characters to some extent so maybe I'll give it a shot. It needs to be a vast improvement for me to stick around for the whole season of that though but I did it last time (laughs) so fool me once shame on you. Fool me three times, four times, (laughs) shame on me. And expect to see reviews here as well in the near term. The Black Phone was coming out next week, a film I'm very curious about. And we'll be discussing the final two episodes of this season of Stranger Things at the beginning of July. Only Murders in the Building is coming back. And if you did watch season one and want to hear our conversation about it, Sona and I covered that back in October, I believe it was. So check this same feed for previous episodes. Sona will be returning for that conversation. And most importantly, July 11th, when... Better Call Saul comes back for its final six episodes. And Sona will be covering that series with me as well, once again. But there'll be plenty of content in the next month or so until that comes around, until we get there. Make sure you subscribe so you can get notifications when that content becomes available. If you'd like to support us, give us a review on Apple or any of your podcatcher or on whatever podcatcher you happen to be listening to us. And one last reminder that I am still looking to network with other podcasters. So if you happen to want to connect, just drop me an email at needsomeintroduction at gmail.com. And of course, the easiest way to support us is to simply recommend us to your friends and family. It really is how we've grown our audience primarily. So this is a relatively short episode, so I wanted to round it out with just some recommendations here at the top of the episode. Recommendation number one is a film that I think very few people have seen, but if you are a fan of black comedies that curdle into something much, much darker, a la Barry, I have a recommendation for you. It's on Hulu. The film is called Cheap Thrills. This is a low budget film from 2014. And basically it's the story of, I'd say a 30 something he probably is. Someone who is at a point in his life when he kind of thought he should have achieved something by now. And we're seeing him pretty much at the lowest point of his life. He has a young child at home and family commitments. And he's about to lose his job, I believe, or has already lost his job. And to delay... The inevitable confrontation with his wife about all of this he heads out to a bar where he runs into a friend of his another 30 something they probably went to high school together i believe and also a bit of a slacker someone who really never made something of himself and this is pat healy if i haven't said that already who is playing the main protagonist who's lost his job and ethan embry is playing his friend that he means meets at the bar and they pick things up and Everything's very friendly, but there's just a sense of tension. There's something between them that is not immediately clear. And as happenstance would have it, they run into a rich man and his much younger wife, David Ketchner from Anchorman, and Sarah Paxton playing his trophy wife. And over the course of the night, this rich couple starts to dare them to do different things for money. So this becomes a very interesting metaphor for this discrepancy in wealth and power, and also like the corruption that money can have on people, morally. And things get very, very dark. The finale of this film is really haunting, even though it is a slapstick comedy, but a gross and gory comedy, I will warn you. But I think if you watch Barry, this is a good fit for your taste profile. So if you do like Barry, do check out Cheap Thrills. I don't wanna spoil anything else in the plot. It's a very simple story, but very powerful for its simplicity, I would say. And that's available on Hulu. I believe you can also see it on like Pluto TV and Tubi and some of those channels where you watch free movies with ads. But if you have Hulu, you can watch it ad-free. Also speaking of Hulu, I did want to momentarily mention something that may have less appeal, but Danny Boyle, the famous British director who did Train Spotting, another very black comedy, by the way, has made a full seat series i believe this is the first entire season of a show that he's directed called pistol which is about the formation of the sex pistols based on the autobiography by steve jones and if you are a fan of this punk rock scene or just curious about it there's a lot of fun to be had in seeing these songs being written in seeing the intersection of all these folks that all would become famous whether that be chrissy hine whose character here in the show is central to the plot. She actually almost married two of the sex pistols just for citizenship reasons, (laughs) not romantic, although she did have a romantic relationship with Mick Jones. And she is a producer on this show. But what I would say is this is very much Wikipedia, the show, a description that's been leveraged at many shows recently. And honestly, you can take one paragraph of each one of the Wikipedia entries in the main article about the Sex Pistols and they map to one show or one episode of this show. Which means that a lot of critics have been very critical of this show. I'll defend it. And I don't think it's a very good show, by the way. But I binged the whole thing. And I am a fan of this music. So even though this is a little bit of fan fiction about the formation of the band, it is still interesting in the truths that it has within it. And that it allows you, if you're curious about this time in history this late 70s punk rock phase of British culture. It does, at a very cursory level, give you that historical context. The performances are all good, but it is also very flashy, very stylish. Many people have criticized this for making the punk rock scene look a little too clean and neat and stylized. But I'll make two defenses of it. First of all, I would say that even though, in retrospect, when you see those performances and you see what happened in those bars... It looks grungy and dirty and ugly to our modern eyes. I would bet if you were one of these 15-year-olds that are forming your own band, this was glamorous to you. So in their perspective, this was a glamorous time. The second thing I would say is that if you want to look at this show and be critical of it and say that it's turning punk rock into just a mythology and really just fashion, Malcolm McLaren himself, the mastermind behind the formation of the Sex Pistols, always saw them purely as fashion he and his wife owned a fashion line eventually and owned multiple boutiques where they dressed up all these punk rockers their goal was to sell their merchandise so it's not ironic that now this revolutionary music is the background music to carnival cruise lines commercials i think it always was the case and even if it's completely unintentional this series drives that point home in the end Everything, every revolution will be co-opted and turned into more marketing. So like I mentioned, your mileage may vary, but if you are curious about the punk rock scene of the late 70s in the UK, I would recommend this. It will either give you some historical context to what happened there, or simply become a jumping off point for you to do your own exploration and find out much more interesting resources. For example, The Decline of Western Civilization documentary, which kind of goes into... The punk rock scene of the late 70s early 80s in much greater detail so once again that's pistol and it's available on fx the entire thing came became available immediately last week i believe so you can binge the whole thing if you're curious or sample one or two episodes if that sounds interesting to you okay let's get into the recap how much did they give you for chris because he was an innocent barry you gotta tell me right now barry why why, Chris? He was a sweetheart, and he looked up to you. But you had to take him out, right? You need to tell me, Barry. Why, Chris? Tell me, Barry! Tell me! Tell me right now! Don't just fucking sit there you fucking tell me with all of that out of the way here we are at the finale of season three of barry starting now is the name of the episode and at this moment when i realized what the title was i thought we were going to have a very dark finale similar to the finale of season one when barry speaks that starting now line for, for those who don't remember that is right after he's killed detective moss we open barry's on the beach the same mind space he's been in since last episode after he was nearly killed drugged and nearly killed and right before he awakens he sees he turns and he sees that sally and gene are now on the beach with him as well this is obviously foreboding everybody else on that beach is someone that barry has killed so it's a warning that barry's sending to himself that they are at risk he starts awake and he's recovered pretty well he pulls out his ivs and he's out the door up and about quickly i don't know if he could recover that quickly i guess If they know what you're poisoned with and they give you the antidote you can probably recover pretty quickly but this does seem very very quick he heads back to his apartment and he sees a note from nick and jermaine they're heading to tijuana to try out their act i'm not sure what that means (laughs) whatever they were rehearsing recently did not seem ready (laughs) for presentation not even in tijuana barry senses that somebody's in the house and he grabs a knife and he's ready to take action when he opens the door and realizes it's just sally and as i predicted last week sally's there because he's, she's been thinking, just to speak to what my sister was talking about, Celia was talking about last week, about how Sally's really not a good person. <laughs> and to that exact point, she is here telling Barry, you know how you freaked me out when you told me all those ways of torturing people? Well, I've been thinking about that. And I don't want you to do it to that producer at Banshee. <laughs> I want you to do it to Natalie. I like that when Barry arrives, by the way, with the knife in hand. This is not terrifying <laughs> to Sally. She's okay with it. She seems to just kind of brush it off. Then we go to Gene having brunch at, I don't know if this is his home, the house that he rented with his son, or if it's this investor's home. It looks pretty nice. But they're once again suggesting that they are so excited about this masterclass, they've gone back to that original idea they had of multicasting this to theaters. So it would be theater, but it would be live as well. Uh, It'll be the movie theater experience, but the theater experience at the same time. These things actually exist, by the way, like I see every once in a while. You probably have as well, if you go to movie theaters, they'll have like the Metropolitan will have some kind of multicast where you can watch an IMAX, a presentation of uh, ballet or some kind of play. I'm not sure if this masterclass or whatever they have planned for Gene (laughs) warrants that kind of presentation, but Gene says that he'll do it, but only if they produce Annie's play. And the agent and producer are very curious. Like, oh, you wrote a play? Turns out this play is called Chrome Fuck Number 9, an experimental play from the 70s. Not sure this is what they want to put on, but they seem to be very, you know, it's very Hollywood. A lot of satire here about Hollywood. And they seem to kind of go with the flow. They're like, okay, sounds interesting. (laughs) But this whole conversation gets interrupted. We don't see what the final outcome of that is because the phone starts to ring. Gene's phone starts to ring. And it's Jim Moss. Jim tells him, you need to come over now. It takes 17 minutes to get from your house to my house, and that's with traffic. Meanwhile, we see Fuchs. He's being interrogated by the other detective, the female detective, much brighter than her boss than Krauss, and she's trying to figure out what did Fuchs say to Albert that sent him off because they can't even get in touch with him currently. She mentions to Fuchs that they found his tooth at Gorin's murder scene. This is where, if you remember, Fuchs was kidnapped and tortured by Gorin. And he lost a tooth in that process. This was a very funny sequence, by the way. Maybe one of my favorite comedic sequences of the whole series, when Fuchs is abducted (laughs) and Barry's on the phone and doesn't notice. It's very, very funny. (laughs) So track that down. Season two, I believe it was. When Fuchs sees that they have some actual evidence, he says, I'm lawyering up. And they process him. He's headed to prison. And he embraces the Raven moniker (laughs) for whatever reason. Gene arrives at Jim Moss's house. It takes Gene 20 minutes. And Moss calls him out on that. Took you 20 minutes. And Gene said, well, I needed to make up an excuse to get out of the brunch. And Jim is very specific about that three minutes. He anticipated it would take about three minutes for Gene to make the decision and head his way. And then we see Moss tells him, I need to show you something in the garage. And it's just two chairs in an empty garage, face to face. And Moss gets all in Gene's face. And this is an incredible scene. Really, really well done. Did Barry Berkman love my daughter? Look at a man when he talks to you. The Barry Berkman loved my daughter Jean. The Barry Berkman loved my baby girl Janice Moss. No, I didn't. Why are you protecting Barry Berkman? I'm not protecting. Why are you protecting Barry Berkman? I'm not protecting. Did you love my daughter? Why are you protecting Barry Berkman? It's so well done because it is simultaneously very effective and still very comedic that it's almost like a parody of these type of interrogation scenes because it's just basically the same thing being said over and over and over again, which simultaneously is maybe a very effective way to do this. We cut back to Barry and Sally's conversation and suddenly behind him, we see the one surviving biker from two weeks ago is standing in the doorframe. Barry turns around and he slugs him knocks him out cold Sally can take a hit (laughs) better than uh, than Barry can she gets hit multiple times here this is a very rough scene for her she gets smacked around and this guy seems to be enjoying himself a little too much choking her out and at this moment with Barry knocked out and with Sally losing her breath I thought oh my god is this where we're going are we going to kill off Sally Celia had actually predicted last week in our conversation that Sally could be the person who dies this week but just as she's about to go out the knife the knife that Barry walked in with apparently was we don't know exactly where it was it's either on top of that chest next to her or on the ground next to her but it's within hand's reach and she stabs him right through the neck and apparently into his eye (laughs) is pretty gross like knife sticking out of his neck and the blood is building up in his eyeball (laughs) and bleeding out so she stabbed him through the eye from the back of his head forward through like through his jaw basically so yeah a grotesque slightly comedic (laughs) I mean I guess what passes for comedy in this particular episode which is a dark dark episode this is actually very well done not only this very surreal stabbing but his reaction to it where he's like very insulted that she has injured him and also stumbles into the soundproof room where Nick and uh, Jermaine do their recording and she goes in after him with an aluminum bat and as she steps in the door closes behind her and it's very cool like that just as she's starting to beat him to death repeatedly beating him bloody the door closes so it's all in silence barry wakes up sees what's happening and goes and pulls her out she's covered in blood and he tells her i did this i did this please say it you have to say it i did this she starts saying i did this and <laughs> he's like no no barry did this you have to say barry did this you were never here and he sends her away and he's left behind to do the cleanup then we see hank this as we mentioned in previous episodes has been the most disconnected part of the plot is noho hank and his relationship with crystal ball and Cristobal being abducted down to Bolivia. And as disconnected as it is, it still is like a highlight of this episode. An absolutely bonkers cir- circumstance here. Hank is still chained to the radiator. He wakes up. His henchmen in the adjacent room say that they've broken out of their chains. And they're going to overpower the gunmen at their first chance. But the gunmen arrive with a tiger? I don't know what this thing is. Some kind of monster. <laughs> it might just be straight a monster, by the way. This way this show this works. And basically goes inside there and feasts on them <laughs> in grisly sound detail we don't see anything but we just see this hear it oh, And this thing is so enormous that it's literally starting to punch a hole through the wall. The threat of this thing coming for him next finally lights a fire under Hank, who breaks out of his chains, and just as one of the gunmen walks into his cell, overpowers him, takes the gun, and starts machine-gunning through the wall, which kills this creature, whatever it was. We never see it. And then he heads upstairs to Cristobal's mansion, and he sees a painting on the wall. He sees, you know, in full detail that Cristobal has his family. And we keep seeing the lights flickering on and off and someone at the end of the hallway is dancing and this whole bizarre circumstance keeps unraveling there is a male stripper here dancing for Cristobal's Cristobal's pleasure supposedly <laughs> or, pe- or pain in this particular case and elena is electrocuting him <laughs> and speaking to him in spanish telling him is that what you like and this ev- extreme extreme form of aversion therapy that she has come up with eventually she has the a stripper has to jump behind the piano and start playing piano. He plays piano as well. This guy's very talented. I'm not sure what this Craigslist ad looked like, but she really found herself a catch here. And then once again in Spanish she is telling him, Don't you like me? Look at my lips. Look at my body. And they don't notice that Hank is there. Hank kills them both, the stripper and Elena both. And then walks up to Crystal Ball and embraces him. And Crystal Ball is maybe a vegetable at this point, I'm not sure. But he does like seem to soften in Hank's arms. But then there's this look. I'm not sure what it means. I'm not sure what they're planning a seed here for. But there's a look on Hank's face there in the last minutes. Is he dealing with the betrayal of Crystal Ball? Is he dealing with what is the consequences going to be of this whole of all these actions? Not sure what he's thinking about, but something's on his mind there. And now we're near the end of the episode. Barry's disposing of this body. It's the sneak preview we saw last week of well, who's getting buried in that grave under that tree? Barry's preferred place to dispose of these bodies. It turns out it was the biker, and that Barry's burying him but who has followed him to this very location it's albert somewhat conveniently albert allows barry to escape and he says this shit has to stop starting now barry listen (laughs) to me calm down i got a daughter her name is elsie she's eight years old she wouldn't be here if you hadn't saved my life I know evil, Barry. <coughs> and you're not evil. But this has to stop. All of it's got to stop. You hear me? Just starting now. starting now so there's the title of the episode and this is what barry said to himself and there was many many murders since then by the way and although this is kind of convenient this is still a pretty powerful scene bill hader's performance here the patheticness here he's at the end of his rope when he asks albert not to kill him i actually thought he was asking him to kill him which is completely understandable at this point i mean barry is truly tortured next we see barry he is ready to hit the road and he's talking to sally he's telling her i need to run and he's going to take her with him. Once again, this whole irony or just critique of acting <laughs> that this show has multiple times here in this particular episode, Sally does a pretty good job acting because she tells him, where are we going to go? And he says, anywhere you want to go. I love you. I love you. Blah, blah, blah. And as soon as he hangs up the phone, we realize she's already at the airport. Good for her. And she's heading to Joplin. Not only is she saying goodbye to Hollywood, she's saying goodbye to Barry here as well. And this is all for the best i mean (laughs) this has gotten very ugly and they're probably terrible for each other when you consider the dark road she was about to head down barry gets another phone call this one from jim moss and he says i just had a very interesting conversation with gene and i need you to come to my house and then he calls gene gene says you don't understand this guy knows everything he got inside my head there's nothing i can do he's going to take away everything i've been trying to build now there's only one thing i can do and barry races to jim moss's house now, at this moment, I actually thought, this is gene acting. I don't believe the whole, you're going to take away my whole career. I mean, they can set that up. You know, that would be the old gene, but I really wasn't buying it. And once again, I just felt thematically that this show is making this critique about acting. How you really can't tr- trust an actor. <laughs> Very self-reflectively criti- critical, considering that these people are all creatives. You fucking gun? You have a no, fucking gun? No. Uh-huh. What the fuck is this? What is wrong with you? He lives right there. You in front of his fucking house, are you nuts? I don't know what else to do. Well, you gotta go in there and shoot him? You don't know what this man is capable of. Barry, he's gonna ruin me. He's gonna destroy everything I worked for. Get the fuck out of here. I'm gonna go talk to him. You get no, the fuck out. No, of you can't talk to him. He's no? that man only wants revenge. You cannot talk to him. He's crazy. He knows everything, Barry. He knows you killed Janice. I'm so sorry just let's get in the car and go and oh man Gene is doing a great job acting here the acting job of his life here and Barry sneaks into Jim's house Jim's watching a football game and he's fixing himself a drink and Barry is sneaking up behind him and just as he approaches and I was thinking we were still going to get that face-to-face confrontation between Jim and Barry and I was pretty certain that Gene's gun was not loaded and this was all a setup But I still thought it was a vengeance ploy by Jim. But nope, Jim's not that kind of guy. Jim is smart. (laughs) Jim doesn't leave anything to chance. And as Barry races up behind him to put a bullet in his head, proving that he definitely is not ready, starting now, to turn over a new leaf, we hear voices. Put the gun down. Barry put the gun down. And then the SWAT team, a full SWAT team, at least 10 members, probably more. They emerge from the patio. They emerge from inside the house. They're everywhere. And Barry is caught dead to rights. There is absolutely no way out of this. We don't have to talk about Detective Moss's death. He just tried to kill Jim Moss in full view (laughs) of an entire police force. And Barry's going to jail. There is no doubt about it that Barry is going to jail for season four. And we see, as the cops clear, they're putting the handcuffs on him. We see Gene looking at him, that dead-eyed stare that we saw at the very beginning of the season when he was planning to kill barry himself and gene gets his revenge here finally he needed jim to get his head straight once again but he did it drop it Berkman! drop the gun drop the fucking gun get him grab him All right. Season four. What do I predict here? I could not have seen at all that they were going to have Barry arrested for a season. Of all the crazy things I was talking about, that even there is an outside chance they would kill off Barry and have a season without him. Of all the outlandish possibilities, I did not think they were going to have him arrested. <laughs> but now in retrospect, it seems totally logical that that would be a possible outcome. So what would I guess for season four? I'm sure they have not even started writing this season, although they might have a basic outline one barry and fuchs together in prison wow (laughs) that could be very entertaining could they bust out together that could be very entertaining barry going to court having to be confronted by all of the people's whose lives he's destroyed sally trying to work her way back into the industry maybe doing a low-scale production of joplin and working her way back natalie becoming a big shot in hollywood would be fun to watch and Gene, does Gene turn toxic again now that he's gotten this revenge? Does he have a chip on his shoulder? Or does Barry getting arrested suddenly make him an even bigger celebrity? Remember, he rose to fame on the back of that story of him rescuing Barry. And now he's the one who takes Barry down. But does this all go to his head? And does he become the same toxic person he was before? And of course, Hank and Crystal Ball. How does that work out? Can they have a normal life now with everybody around them dead? So those are all left to be answered in the following season, season four. Season four. And hopefully we get that with (laughs) much faster than we got between season two and season three, which was a whole three years. Was this three years, three and a half years maybe? So hopefully we get this one next year. (laughs) We don't have to wait two or three more years. Okay, just a couple of things I want to call out here before we wrap up. First is this last shot of the episode when Gene and Jim are outside of the house. And there's just kind of this whole sequence at the end, very interestingly done, no dialogue at all, other than the yelling of the cops as they arrest Barry. But none of the main players speak any words at all. And as the cops leave, we see Gene and Jim look across this picture window in front of the house and just acknowledge that this is over, or this chapter of it anyway. Once again, this episode directed by Bill Hader. Very impressive directing job this season, by the way. I believe he directed every single episode or almost every single episode of this entire season, as well as writing it along with Alec Berg and the rest of their writing staff. And there's a six-minute, I highly recommend this, by the way, a six-minute featurette that is included with this episode that you can watch after the episode ends where they discuss the season overall, and Henry Winkler and the the team say some very interesting things about the shape of the season overall. And I believe it's in this, or it may have been in a separate interview, where Winkler mentions that Jim does not want to go back inside that house. So that's interesting that we're seeing this moment between these two men. Henry Winkler does wave and leave, and Jim just stands there by himself, And also in the same framing is a picture of his daughter near the front window, which of course is the catalyst for all of this. So very interesting visual storytelling here. And once again, I do highly recommend that featurette. Another very interesting point in that featurette is the fact that Darcy Carden, who plays Natalie on the show, mentions the fact that some of this dialogue between the actors comes from their own conversations, the the actors themselves, the actors of the show. And she says, it's very funny, but it's very painful. (laughs) And this kind of goes back to what Celia was saying on an earlier recap about the show, how some of these interactions between these actors are so fake and so surface and so inauthentic. And she's acknowledging the fact that it's kind of a very painful (laughs) view on their own personalities. And she seems a little uncomfortable admitting that on screen. So I just want to call that out because it is an interesting dovetail with something we've discussed here on the show before. But yeah, really fascinating season of TV. Very interested to see how they progress from this point on. Once again, check in later this week. I will be discussing this episode with my sister, with Celia. She'll be back on the show. And in the next episode, probably only have space for the boys recap with this conversation with Celia. But I will definitely have a more full review of the finale of Obi-Wan Kenobi next week. Of course, along with more coverage of the boys. So hope you enjoyed the recap, and I'll talk to you soon.